James chapter 3, verse 13 through 18. You know, you might not know it, but there are many denominations in America that today are what I would describe as theologically liberal. They don't believe in the deity of Christ. They don't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. They don't believe that Christ is the only way to salvation. And there are many colleges and universities today that espouse the same liberal viewpoint. But many of those denominations at one time and many of those schools at one time were epicenters of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were actually founded to train preachers to preach the gospel. I'm talking about Harvard. I'm talking about Princeton. I'm talking about Dartmouth and Columbia. All of the Ivy League schools except for Cornell were started to train young preacher boys to preach the gospel across America. You say, Brother Steve, I just don't believe that. I'm telling you, it's hard to believe. As liberal and as left-wing as they are today, it's hard to believe how they started out. You say, how could that happen? Well, I'll tell you momentarily. The oldest college in America is Harvard, and it was named after... John Harvard, who was a great Christian man. He said this. Now listen to this. This is the founder of Harvard, one of the most liberal colleges in the world today. But here's how it started off. Let every student here be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main ends of his life and his studies to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, and therefore to lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation of all knowledge and learning, and see that the Lord only giveth wisdom. Let everyone seriously set himself by prayer in secret to see Christ as Lord and Master. You hear what I just said? And yet today... Christ is laughed at. I don't call that progression. That is digression. A lot of people are saying we are progressives. Well, not in my opinion. If you're going the wrong way, if you're going down morally and spiritually, that is not progression, that is digression. You say, how could that happen? How could they jettison belief in the inerrancy and the inspiration of the Word of God? How could they jettison salvation only in Christ, the deity of Christ, the virgin birth of Christ, the sinless life of Christ, the atoning death of Christ, the bodily resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, the return of Christ, literal return of Christ, the reality of heaven 
and hell, the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, salvation in Christ, evangelism, missions. How'd they give all that up? Here's the answer. They traded. They did a bad deal. They traded the wisdom of God away, and they took in the wisdom of man. Whenever you throw the wisdom of God out and you choose the so-called wisdom of man, you're in a downward trajectory immediately. That's where our nation is. Like I said a while ago, when I was in grade school, the Gideons would come to our schools and hand out Bibles, and they would literally on the chalkboard, does anybody remember a chalkboard, all right? On the chalkboard, they would write out the gospel and tell us how to be saved. And I can remember when I was not living for the Lord in my freshman year of college, I still had a lot of respect for those Gideons that would stand out there on the sidewalks and hand out Bibles to people that were passing by on their way to class. What's happened? What's happened in our world? What's happened? What's going on? God's wisdom is greater than man's wisdom. So today, as we continue to walk verse by verse through the book of James, we're going to be in chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. We're going to look at the superiority of God's wisdom. Look there in your Bibles. Who among you, verse 13, is wise and understanding? Let him show it by his good behavior and his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. I want to say this again. Ambition's okay. Selfish ambition is not okay. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above ah, now, is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word, not of man, but of the Lord. Notice the superiority of God's wisdom. First of all, God's wisdom encourages good deeds. James continues on his theme that it's not good enough to talk right. You've got to do right. You've got to live right. Look at verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? He asks a rhetorical question. In other words, who among you has good judgment? Who's an expert in understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of of wisdom. That is a strong statement. James says, guys, it's not good enough to talk right. You've got to live right. He's saying the acid test for genuine Christian faith, the real proof is living out your faith 
in God's wisdom. Good behavior, deeds, and the gentleness of God's wisdom. Let the one who is wise understand, and understanding show it by his good behavior and good deeds. God wants us not just to think right, but to act right, to live right. Their godly deeds would speak louder than any religious words. And it was God's wisdom, God's wisdom that could give them the pathway to emulate good deeds. Knowledge in itself is not wisdom. I've told you this many times. Knowledge is not wisdom. Knowledge is accumulating facts about a situation, but wisdom is the appropriate application of the facts that you garner about a situation. It is good application. If I look at this stair step, you know, 30 years ago, I would have seen it as a stair step. Now I see it as a cliff, all right? So if I am wise and I step up here, I'm not going to step off because it, the step off is not the problem. It's the landing that's ugly, amen? And so I don't land as good as I used to. And so if, if I'm wise, if I'm knowledgeable, I'd realize, you know, I'm in danger right now. But if I'm wise, I don't just have knowledge. I apply my knowledge. I'm going to back off. I know a lot of people that live this close to sin all the time. They see how close they can get to the edge of sin. And they don't realize that they need to back off. They need to be wise and back away from sin. We don't need to press in towards sin. We need to press away from sin. That's wisdom. It's applied knowledge. Uh, there's a man named Julian Huxley. He's dead now. He was a British scientist and philosopher. And after we had, at the end of World War II, what ended World War II was an atomic bomb, two of them, actually. And uh, he knew the potential for danger in the world with sinful people and atomic bombs. And here's what he had to say. Julian Huxley said, the problem with what men will do with this enormous power, talking about the atomic bomb, that science has put into their hands is probably the most vital and alarming problem of modern times. At the moment, humanity is like an irresponsible child who has been given a set of machine tools, a box of matches, and a generous supply of dynamite. Can you imagine passing out dynamite and matches in our nursery, that's what he's talking about. He said, we are in a dangerous situation because people have knowledge but not wisdom. In order to act appropriately, you got to have more than head knowledge. You got to be able to rightly apply the word and the wisdom of God. And not just any wisdom. Not man's wisdom, but God's wisdom. When we depend primarily and oftentimes solely upon what men say, what women say, 
People that don't love the Lord, we just buy into what they say. We will be disappointed because man in and of himself is not capable of producing real wisdom, ultimate wisdom. We have to depend on God. We have to go back to the Bible. We have to go back to the root of the Word of God, and we have to say, God, you teach us those teachings that lead to wisdom, God's wisdom. God's wisdom is greater than man's wisdom, and God's wisdom encourages good deeds. One of the main reasons I tell people, if you'll read the Bible, you'll act better than if you don't. If you'll just read the Bible, just all of a sudden you'll start acting better because the Word of God gives you wisdom to do the right thing. Secondly, God's wisdom not only encourages good deeds, but it also exceeds human wisdom. Oh, we think we're so smart, but God laughs at those who think they're smart when they turn away from Him. Look at verse 14 and following. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but it is earthly, natural, and then he uses a bomb word here, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's disorder in every evil thing. James pulls back the curtain and shows us what people act like when they walk in mere human wisdom, but they reject the wisdom of God. He starts off in verse 13. He says, "There's whenever you reject the wisdom of God and you solely lie, uh, rely upon human wisdom, there's going to be bitter jealousy. There's going to be selfish ambition. Nothing wrong with ambition as long as your ambition is to glorify God. But when you get to selfish ambition and you want to glorify yourself, that's where you get messed up. And there's going to be this rivalry with other people if you're not careful. If you're living for yourself, if you're living for just human wisdom, there's this bitter jealousy. Other people can't prosper without you getting mad about it. You're constantly comparing yourself with somebody else instead of comparing yourself with God. And you get jealous over people's success. You get jealous. By the way, that's the major root behind the 10th of the Ten Commandments. When it says, don't covet what your neighbor has, don't covet his house, don't cover his farm, don't cover his wife, don't cover, covet anything that he's got. What is that? What's that all about? Selfishness, bitter jealousy, selfish and Your egotistical zeal promotes yourself rather than Christ. And you become arrogant and you, you lie against the truth of God. Wow, verse 14, you could stay there a long time. Verse 15, just as stout. He says, such human wisdom, that doesn't come down from above. No, that kind of wisdom, that's not from God. No, look there. It's earthly. It's ungodly. It is marked by this world. The Bible says don't love the world. Don't be conformed to the world. The world is passing away and the lust thereof. Don't live according to the dictates of this world. There is a different set of rules in the Word of God. 
And the wisdom of man is earthly. It is marked by ungodly teachings and principles. It is natural as compared to supernatural. It is man-centered rather than God-centered. It has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit of God and the power that you can tap into. It's just natural. That's all you got. And then, yes, it's demonic. What does demonic mean? Demon-like, not Christ-like, demon-like. Belonging to hell, not belonging to heaven. Paul talked about it when he wrote to Timothy. He said in 1 Timothy 4.1, he talked about doctrines of demons. I want to say this to you. There are professors in colleges who are so caught up in the world and so anti-Jesus that they actually become vehicles to pass on doctrines of demons to our young people. It's not just in college. It can be in elementary school. It can be in a junior high or high school. And they poison the headwaters and all of the other water that flows down to us then is poisoned because at the inception of learning, they said there is no God. Jesus Christ is just another man. Demonic. Demonic. Verse 16, this human wisdom is characterized by jealousy, selfish ambition. It results in disorder, confusion, unruliness. Is that not where we are today? Are we not just just totally just wrapped up in, people are confused. They don't know what's going on. They're looking for somebody to give them the answers, but they're looking everywhere except the Word of God. And then all of a sudden we have every evil thing. I mean, you can't even fathom, you can't even fathom how far we have digressed morally in America. And I want to tell you something, unless we have a, a revival, you say, why are you always praying for revival? It's our only hope. It's the only hope we have. Uh, I think we are seeing and have seen over the last 30 years, politics will not change and make the true changes that we need. I, I want to say this to you. We are beyond that. We need a movement from heaven, not just a movement from man. We need a movement from God. That's what we need. If God doesn't intervene, we don't have any hope. We need His wisdom. Not the wisdom, so-called wisdom of man that is earthly, natural, and demonic. God's wisdom exceeds human wisdom. God's wisdom, when man disobeys God's wisdom and turns against it and delights in his own wisdom, God, you know what he does? He pours out his wrath. How many of us have said, oh God, don't pour out your wrath. Hey, look. He already is. I'm not just talking about in the last year. I'm talking about in the last 30 years, last 40 years. Almost 50 years ago, we said it's okay to kill a baby in a mother's womb, slaughter them. 1973, I was a junior in high school when that was passed. took our Bibles out of the schools in 1963. 
1964. Then we passed homosexual marriage. You can't keep doing that kind of stuff and expect the blessings of God. You just can't. Paul wrote about it. It's not something that's new with America. This is the way the devil rolls. This is how he takes down nations. He's done it for centuries. Paul said, when you trade in God's wisdom for man's wisdom, you get the wrath of God. And what is the wrath of God? It's not some cataclysmic, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah. That's one view of it. But look, here, here's, here's the wrath of God. Watch. God just removes his hand. That's all it is. And we self-destruct. Listen to this. Romans 1, verse 18 and following. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth, there it is, we don't want the wisdom of God in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them. That is, everybody knows there's a God. Why? Verse 20, for since the creation, there it is, of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen by everyone, by the way, being understood through that which has been made so that they are without excuse. Now, let me just stop before I go on and read verse 21 and following. Everybody, whether they want to admit it or not, believes in God. You say, oh, no, I know some people. No, they say they don't believe in God. But deep in their heart, they know there's a God. For 15 times, 16 come August, I'm going to look at a little grandbaby Beautifully created in the image of Almighty God. And every time I look at one of those, just like when I looked at my four children, I said, you know what? I don't know how anybody cannot believe that there's a God. Amen. Creation demands a creator. Amen. This couldn't have just happened. I don't have enough faith to believe that this all just randomly mutated over billions of years. That is the goofiest thing I've ever heard in my life. We did not come from primordial goo, and we don't know where the goo came from, all right? Give me a break. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Amen. If we can't believe that, first verse of the Bible Let's just chunk the whole thing, all right? But I'm not going to throw it away because I know it's true. I know there's a creator. I know that there's wisdom from God. And he says we all know it deep down in our soul. Even the most pagan person who's never heard about Jesus, he knows that there is a God. Now let's move on. And we'll see the wrath of God when God pulls his hand away when people reject him. Verse 21, for even though they know God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, 
they became fools. Let's say that together. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And what did they do? They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God. They went into idolatry of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds, four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. They got into idolatry. And what follows idolatry? Immorality. Watch this. Therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their heart, to impurities, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, because of their idolatry, they committed immorality. For this reason, verse 26, God gave them over to degrading passions for their women, exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Don't tell me homosexuality and lesbianism is right. It is not. It is wrong. It is sinful. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. They try to get others to fall into sin with them. That's what sinners do. People that are drunkards love it when other people drink. People who are gluttons love it when other people overeat. People who cuss like to be around people that like to cuss. People that are immoral like to be around people that are immoral. And they want other people to be immoral so they feel better about themselves. And it all comes from the wisdom of man when we reject the wisdom of God. God gives us over to a depraved life. That's the wrath of God. God's wisdom exceeds human wisdom. You know, God said, I'm smarter than you guys. That's the Gaines version of Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts, God says, they're not your thoughts. Nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Smartest person in here, the smartest 100 people in here are not anywhere close to being as smart as God. We're all wearing dunce hats sitting in the corner, all right, when it compares to God's wisdom. God's wisdom exceeds human wisdom. Number three, God's wisdom exhibits God's character. You want to know what God is like? Look to his wisdom. Look at verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure. He gives this whole 
litany, a whole description of God's wisdom. Then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. It's like taking a breath of fresh air. Let's just go through it. We'll run through it quickly. God's wisdom is first pure, undefiled by sin, devoted to Christ. Then it's peaceable. Peace always follows purity. Did you see that? He said, first it's pure, then it's peaceable. If you want the peace of God, you have to live in the purity of God that only comes from Jesus Christ. You can't live in sin. You can't steal constantly and live in the peace of God. You can't be sexually immoral constantly and live in the peace of God. You can't be looking at pornography on Saturday and trying to read your Bible on Sunday. You can't live together outside of wedlock and come to church and feel good about it. You can't be doing these things. You can't be lying. You can't be living a double life, having a double mind. You can't be mean all the time and then come in here and sing holy, holy, holy and feel good about it. You just can't. You can't have it both ways. It is then gentle, one of the fruits of the Spirit, courteous. Does anybody remember courteous after you? Does anybody remember thank you? Does anybody remember Yes, sir, to a parent. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Does anybody remember that? Does anybody remember please? Gentle, courteous, reasonable. There's some reason to it. It, it makes sense. Full of mercy. Compassion, full of good fruits. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Christ-likeness. Unwavering, steady. Does anybody remember people who were steady? Does anybody remember those rocks, those people that, you know what, bad news come, they're going to just stick right in there, man. Oh, how we need that. Only Christ can make you unwavering and without hypocrisy, not double-minded, unstable in all their ways. God's wisdom exhibits God's character. You know, I love all kinds of music. I love it all. Uh, my wife loves it all except for bluegrass. I love bluegrass. She likes to watch them play, but she can't handle the twang. I'm just telling you, she can't. So God gave her a boy from Dyersburg, amen. <laughs> How about that? God just sicked me on her right there. And she's been here in country for a long time. I love all kinds of music. I, I love the great hymns of the faith, and I love this hymn about God's amazing character. They don't write them like this every day, Drew. Listen to this. Immortal, invisible. This is Chalmers Smith. God only, wise, in light, inaccessible, you're hid from our eyes. Most blessed, most glorious, ancient of days, almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. That's the character of God. Listen to this now. Unresting, unhasting, silent is light. 
nor wanting, nor wasting. Thou rulest in might, thy justice like mountains, high soaring above thy clouds, which are fountains of goodness and love. To all life thou givest, to both great and small. In all life thou livest the true life of all. We blossom, we flourish as leaves on a tree, then we wither and we perish, but nothing changes thee. Great Father of glory, pure Father of light, thine angels adore thee, all veiling their sight. All praise we would render, O oh, help us to see, tis only the splendor of your light that hideth thee. I don't know what God's like totally. I don't know what it's, I think about it a lot. I'm not trying to impress you. I, I think about it a lot. I think about what's it going to be like when I die? What's it going to be like when I see him for the very first time? I believe it's going to be indescribable. I think when we see him, we will realize he is God and we're nowhere close. We're not going to just be skippy-de-doo-dah, skippy. We're going to hit the deck, amen, and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. God's wisdom, we're going to find out it's a lot greater than our wisdom, and it exhibits his immortal, invisible, amazing character. God's wisdom encourages good deeds. It exceeds human wisdom. It exhibits God's character. But there's one more thing. God's wisdom expands divine peace. The more wisdom you garner from the Lord, the more you're going to give out peace. And the more peace you're going to have. God's wisdom gives you peace. When you live in the Word of God and His wisdom... You have more peace than the people that are just out there trying to get their wisdom from people. I know a lot of people that are seldom right but never in doubt. Amen? Oh, they'll tell you all kinds of what they call wisdom. <laughs> yeah, right. Now, this translation in the New American Standard really doesn't nail it for me, okay? So I'm going to give you an alternate translation in a second. He says, and the seed whose fruit is righteous. What he's doing is he's, he's interpreting it exactly in the order that the Greek gives it, but it's rough as a cob, all right? He says, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness, nobody talks like that, is sown in peace by those who make peace. What does that mean? You say, Brother Steve, that's why you're in the pulpit. Okay, I'll tell you what it means. The seed of righteousness. See that? When you sow it, it gives you a harvest of peace. That's all it means. When you sow seeds of righteousness, when you sow seeds of obeying God, you're going to get a harvest of peace. Amen? Isn't that right? How many of you know when you obey God, you get peace? Amen? When you sow seeds of disobedience, what do you get? Strife, right? When you obey God, man, it's glory. When you disobey God, there's no peace. There's turmoil. 
but God wants us to live in peace. And so God's wisdom expands God's peace. He gives us the peace of God that passes all understanding. Man's little peace is nothing. We make treaties with nations and then they break them and go back to war. But God's peace is permanent and it's superior. That's what he's trying to say. Back in the times of the Crusades, you know, Islam has spread because of their military might. They go in and take over nations and said, be a Muslim or we'll kill you. That's their evangelism strategy. But Christianity tried that in the Crusades and they found out that a sword cannot make somebody trust Jesus. But the sword of the Spirit can. The gospel can. God never forces anybody to do anything. Did you hear what I just said? God won't force you to repent. You know what he does? He offers it to you as a free gift. He said, here, here's my wisdom. Here's my salvation. Here's my forgiveness. Here's my way of life. It's through my son, Jesus Christ. You can only know me through him because he's the only one born of a virgin. He's the only one who came to earth. He's the only one who lived a sinless life. He's the only one that died an atoning death. He's the only one that rose from the dead. Muhammad didn't do that. Buddha didn't do that. There is no Allah that did that. Jesus did that. He rose from the dead, victorious over sin. He ascended back here. He's at my right hand. You believe in my son, you'll have eternal life. If you don't, you'll perish throughout eternity in a place called hell. That's the wisdom of God. But he never forces it. He never pushes it on you. He simply offers you the seed of righteousness. And when that seed is planted, it produces the peace of God. There was a German scientist named Max Born. He was a friend of and a colleague of Albert Einstein, he died when I was in junior high in 1970. And just before he died, he said, you know, I would have been a happier man if we had had more scientists with less brains and more wisdom. Less knowledge head knowledge, and more wisdom. I don't know if the guy was saved or not, but he nailed it. He nailed it. We'd be a lot better off if we had more Christians who would apply less human wisdom and more godly wisdom. You and I need the wisdom of God more than we need the wisdom. Everybody stand up. Everybody stand up, please. 
I'm going to give you three verses of Scripture. I hope you'll write them down, the references. And they're about the wisdom of God. When I was in seminary, there were 4,000 preacher boys and about 300 churches in the DFW area. So I didn't get a church right off the bat. I worked at Piggly Wiggly, sacking groceries. I was sacking and stacking. That was my job. And I memorized scripture while I was there. And I memorized Proverbs 2, verse 6. I did it out of King James. And it has everything that I'm talking about here. Look at, say this out loud. Read it with me. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and... Now leave it there, leave it there. Wisdom is both knowledge and understanding. Understanding being the application of the wisdom which makes it... Or the application of the knowledge which makes it wisdom. That's one of the best verses in the Bible about the wisdom of God. And James has a lot to say about wisdom, doesn't he? James chapter 1, verse 5. Look at this. Read it with me. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Look, it's there for your taking. Just say, God, I don't know what to do. I don't have the wisdom I need. God says, come to my word. Come to my wisdom. Read in my word. I'll speak to you like a father speaks to his child. I'll let you hear my voice behind you saying, this is the way. Whenever you turn to the right or the left, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will guide you with my eye upon you. If you'll come to my wisdom, which is in my word, and stop listening only to the wisdom of men, if you'll come to me, I'll fix you up. I'll take care of you. I'll show you how to raise those kids. I'll show you how to stay in love with your spouse. I'll show you how to do right and not do wrong. Yeah, that's wisdom. And then Paul just gets so happy sometimes in his letters, he just breaks out into what we call doxologies. He just gets happy. In, in East Tennessee, it's, it's throwing a Jesus fit. Amen. I'm, I mean, it's just, just getting happy in the Lord. And when you come to Romans eleven thirty three, 33, Paul just kind of has a fit. Amen. Read it with me. Here we go. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. That is, his ways are beyond finding out. People pay a lot of money. And I'm not against counsel. I'm a bit against, I'm for anybody that can help anybody, all right? But I want to tell you something. You can go to every counselor you want to, but if you don't read this book, you are forfeiting some free counseling right here, amen? How many of you know God is the wonderful counselor, amen? Amen. I'm not saying don't go to your counselor, but I want to tell you something. God's smarter than your counselor. You say, I'm going to tell him you said that. Good. He needs to know that or he's not a good counselor. If he doesn't believe that, don't go back to him or her. Here's the wonderful counselor's book. Here's the wisdom of God. And it's way better than the wisdom of man. 